Amen. Praise God. That you have been going through this training, which is to, number one, take down the walls of limits that are built into our mindsets and to provide you with the truth as a foundation that will take you into a limitless way of limit of living. How many of you believe that there are limits to God? No one? Then why would there be limits to what God can do in and through you? You see, the Bible says, all things are possible to those who believe. Do you believe? Really? Do you believe? Then all things are possible to you. Because you believe. And what do you believe? You believe that you're a son of God, just like Jesus was the son of God. And so everything the son could do, you could do, because he said, the works that I do, and greater works than these will you do. Now, number one, in the Old Testament, there were different groups of people that God set aside. Okay? Very, very important what I'm going to tell you now. There was a prophet, a priest, a king, and a Nazareth, a Nazarite. Okay? Are you following me so far? These were the only people that God ever anointed in the Old Testament. A prophet, a priest, a king, and a Nazareth. Okay? Now, a prophet, God would choose among, from among the people to be his oracle, to speak on his behalf. And then he would be anointed for the position or consecrated, set apart for the position of doing a particular function. A king was anointed and then confirmed, that anointing was confirmed by a priest anointing him with oil. So Saul for example, had been chosen, okay, as a prince to the to Israel by God before the people chose Saul as a king. And so Samuel anointed Saul before, okay, before the people chose him as king. And he anointed Saul because God has had chosen him as a prince. So an anointing, according to what we see in the Old Testament, is anything or anyone that has been set apart for a particular function or purpose. Did you hear me? And so, if you consider what an anointing is, then that means that when God places you in a particular role, with a particular mandate and a particular outcome, then that is what he has anointed you for. Okay, now, you get, and you've got to understand this, because Jesus came and he operated in a dimension of the anointing that had never been seen before. Because Jesus operated as a prophet, as a priest, and as a king. And he was Dedicated before he was even born 
So he was a Nazarite as well. So Jesus operated in all four of these areas of anointing because he was the Son of God. So the Son of God, any Son of God, is appointed a prophet, a priest, a king, and has been chosen before you were born. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? So you do not need any greater anointing than the anointing that has been bestowed upon you through the rebirth and your acceptance or adoption as a son in the kingdom of God. Well, that's some good news right there. Because a son, remember the scripture, it says, it says that the anointing will break the yoke of bondage. Do you remember that? Now that anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage, the yoke of bondage that was on people was oppression, slavery, and abandonment. But this, but this anointing that comes and breaks the yoke is sonship. Because sonship is our identity, our restoration in the family of God, bringing us back into position of right standing with God so that we can operate from God's place into the world. All right. That means that based on the fact that you are a son of God, how many of you are sons of God here? At least five. Oh, there's more. Yay. Woo, hallelujah. I'm in the right house. Okay, so you're all sons of God. Now listen, I said this to many ladies before. If I can be a pretty bride, you can be a son. So it's, it's completely fine, okay? All right, and really, I'm a really pretty bride, so you can be a really handsome son. Okay, so, so here's the thing. What I want you to understand is that sonship, all right, is a type of relationship that God is attempting to communicate to us, and He is also using the language of father, so the, the relationship between a father and a son is, is both a loving relationship but also a respectful one. Do you understand? And also one where a son honors the father. Are you with me? So there's this, God is trying to show us the type of relationship that he wants with us. And it looks nothing like what people try and describe it as. When they say it's a type of sugar daddy relationship. That's not what it's about. Do you understand? I get to call God Papa because the spirit in me goes, oh, my Father. Do you know where the word Abba comes from? When the, ba when the baby is first born, it breathes in. Oh, you know that first, first breath? That's where the, the Jews get the word Abba from. Because it's the name for dad. The first thing the child does when it takes its first breath is actually recognize its father. Okay? That's, that's where they got the word from. Abba. That's how it's pronounced. Okay? Now, Abba is your dad. That's like an endearment term. Do you know like when you say daddy or pops? or Any, any endearment term that you use for your father. But... Remember, your father is still God. 
So, the, so he is he is close to you, but he's also your God. So this is the dynamic that we need to understand. And because of that, he has given responsibility to every single one of his sons. And the responsibility he has given us is that one, we would act on his behalf as his voice on the earth. And that is the anointing of a prophet. And the second one is that we would act on behalf of his authority on the earth. And that is the anointing of a king. And his kingship is given to us and we are made kings in his kingdom so that this kingdom is a kingdom of kings of which Jesus is the king of kings. Are you following me? Can you say I have a crown and I'm a king? Okay, you can smile. It's a good thing. Being a... That means that God has given you the authority Okay, to destroy the works of the enemy because the works of the enemy are in rebellion to the kingdom of God. And so your authority is backed up by heaven 100% as long as you're having as much fun as possible destroying the kingdom of darkness. God wants you to stomp hell for a living. That would be fun for him. It is fun. <laughs> Now, the thing is, you also have an anointing as a priest. And what does a priest do? A priest actually takes the time to care for people, to bring them back into relationship with God. So you are both a king and a priest, which makes you one who has authority over the demonic forces, the works of the devil, but also one who has compassion for those who have been oppressed and misguided and are in ignorance. And so just like Jesus, our high priest, you hang on the cross of your life and you say, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. This is the, the service of a priest. Are you getting this? And the Nazarite, is modeled by Samson, for example, was someone whose whole life was laid down for the purpose of only setting the oppressed free. Jesus' whole life, he was dedicated 100% to setting the oppressed free. Are you, are you with me? And so your life now is a commitment in that anointing to set your life, lay your life down for the purpose of setting people free. Okay, and so that's the truth about the anointing. And the fact is that when you feel the Holy Spirit in a room, you're feeling His presence. You're feeling His Shekinah glory. But technically, that isn't anointing. Even though people use that word, and it's fine if they do. It's not a big deal. So don't get confused in that area. Okay? But the truth about anointing is that you have been anointed a son that operates as a prophet, priest, king, Nazareth. Nazareth. Now, there's a complete... If anyone knows their Bible, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It makes complete sense. Okay? So, here's the thing. That means that the anointing he gave you came from your rebirth. 
When you were born again, God's spirit became one spirit with you. The Bible says, whoever is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. That means you and God are now one. You're connected to one another. Does that make sense? All right. And it's that that connects you to the kingdom and connects you to your family in heaven. It's that which gives you your identity from heaven. Does it make sense? And that's why we have an anointing that abides, not one that comes and goes. According to 1 John 2, where it says that you have been given an anointing and you need no one to teach you for even the anointing will teach you. Okay, and what is he saying? Is he saying that what I'm doing here is a waste of time? No. What he's saying is, I can talk on this stage until the cows come home, but if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you to confirm and to guide you with what I'm saying, you still won't learn anything. Because he's the one who brings revelation. I'm the one who brings information. And he works through me to bring that information, and then he works in you to bring that revelation. Come on. Okay, so even as I speak to you now about the rest of this, I want you to realize that it's the Holy Spirit that's teaching you. It's the anointing that's teaching you. It's your understanding that you are indeed a son of God and that you are able to walk in these things that allow you to understand them and walk in them. Does it make sense? Because if you think you can't do this, and guess what? You can't. So let me tell you like this. If you think you can or if you think you can't, you're right. Amen? So it's, it's really, really up to you. So I want to talk to you about practical ministry right now. And I want to give you a very easy acronym. How many of you have learned the alphabet? Good, okay. So I want you to write this down if you can. A for availability. B for boldness, C for compassion, and D for determination. Okay? And we're going to go through these. Because these are the, listen, if you don't have one of these, you will not make it doing any ministry. Do you understand? Like this is literally the key to practical ministry. Okay. Availability is a noun. It's the quality of being able to be used or obtained. In other words, someone has to have access to you and you have to have availability for them. You must actually be available for people. Okay. And this um, is, is really expressed in some texts like Isaiah 6, for example, where um, in Isaiah 6, Isaiah is listening. And he says, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and say this to the people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but you do not perceive. He's, that's the, what the message God gave um, him to send to Israel. Now, isn't it interesting? What was he doing? What is he doing here? He's saying, here I am. He's making himself available. God is saying, do you, think, do you think God was asking a rhetorical question? No. He was saying, 
So who will go? Wanting to see if Isaiah will, will respond. When your pastor comes here and says, who will go with us? You don't need him to come and tell you, you must go and you must go and you must go. You should be saying, all of you should be fighting about who's going to go. You should, you know, do you understand that? Because you want to be available first. Does it make sense? If we say, we, if he says, we're doing this conference, we're going to impact the city, who's going to help? You should all be fighting to try and help. Why? Because you're available for God to use you. Even if something like this morning doesn't happen with lots of faithful people working together to get it done. It doesn't happen without the body of Christ working together, doing each one his part to get it done. Isn't that right? And we show that we are committed to the work of God by doing that very thing, by being available. For example, imagine if someone came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, my daughter is sick. Can you heal her? And he said, sorry, I'm kind of busy right now. Maybe next week. And imagine that was your daughter. You know what the sad thing is? That there's so few people who are available that many people who are available are so busy that they have to say, I can only see you next week. So we need all of you to um, stand up and say, here I am. Amen? So you can be available too. So when there is a prayer request for someone to receive healing, you're available. Otherwise, guess what? You're never going to see anyone healed. You know you can never see anyone healed if you never pray for anyone to get healed? I know it's kind of redundant, but it's true, isn't it? In Luke 10.30, Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to, Jer to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. You guys know this story. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him, passed by on the other side as well. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Underline that. He had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, poured on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think provided to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Which one, do you, which one of these three do you think was available to help? If you were the guy in the ditch, which one of these three would you have hoped would showed up? But the priest would have just walked on the other side. So you actually want the Samaritan to have showed up. Because not only did he mend your wounds, he took you to an inn. He paid for all your expenses. And then he said, whatever else this guy costs you, I'll pay it when I get back. How many Christians are that generous? To their brothers in Christ. You know why it's quiet right now, eh? 
This is when Holy Spirit does most of his work. <laughs> you see, because we need to realize, guys, we need to realize why we're here. Are you with me? We can be so self-absorbed and consumed in our own lives that we don't realize that we are actually here to be available for God to use us. Now listen, you can't save everyone yourself. Impossible. That's why we have to work together. Isn't that right? All right, so firstly, you've got to be available. Secondly, you have to be bold. Yeah? So what is boldness? It's a willingness to take a risk and to act with confidence and courage. Now, what's courage? Do you know you don't need courage if you're never afraid? People aren't afraid of something. They're not, they're not operating in courage. They're just operating in being normal. But when you face something that you are afraid of and you overcome it, we call that courage. So courage is where boldness comes from, isn't it? It's the ability to be bold. Now, are you righteous? Two of you are nodding. The rest of you are wondering. Are you righteous? I didn't hear you. Are you righteous? Then if you're righteous, what does the Bible say about the righteous? The righteous are what? Are bold. As what? As a lion. As a lion. Hey, have you seen how bold a lion is? Hey? Lion will even try and attack an elephant. It's really bold. Isn't it? Do you know the reason why people aren't bold is because, and I'm not talking about Christians, I'm talking about unsaved people, is because often they're wicked. Proverbs 28.1, it says, The wicked flee when no one pursues. By the way, that's why I stopped jogging. Because why would you run? <laughs> the wicked flee when no one pursues. <laughs> Isn't that right? The guys who run the 100 meters, even worse. They're like, they're going, man. I don't know who's chasing them. But the righteous are bold as a lion. And that's you. You know why? Because when you're righteous, you know that you're right. And when you're right, you can be bold. Isn't that right? If you think you're right, you won't be bold. But if you know you're right, then you're bold. Acts 28, 30-31 says, He lived there two whole years at his own expense, and he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is Paul. And you can see clearly he was available and he was bold. Isn't that right? And he didn't let anything get in the way. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 2. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So conflict shouldn't stop you from being bold. Isn't that right? Because in the midst of conflict, you should be bold. 
Now, you know you need a lot more boldness in conflict. Let me give you some reality things here. When you walk into a hospital room and they've asked you to come and pray for someone who's dying and everyone's saying goodbye and they've come and they've asked you to try and make this person stick around. Do you know how difficult that is? You're walking into a room where everyone has already agreed that this person's gone and now you're coming in and you're saying, no, they're not going anywhere. They're staying here. Do you know there are two diametrically opposing forces? And if you are not bold enough, you will succumb to their emotional pressure. This is the reason why Jesus told the wailing people to be quiet and he told them to get out. Remember when he raised the little girl from the dead? He said, be quiet and he put them out. Why? Because he didn't need them trying to affect his emotional state. Jesus' emotional state was peace, and he didn't need them wailing at him. That's why do you think Jesus kept saying she's asleep? What, because he was just trying to be friendly? He didn't want to hurt anyone's feelings? No, because he believed she was only asleep. See, you can't raise the dead if you think they're gone. Not kidding. You're going to believe they're still here. And they ain't going nowhere. They're getting up. They're waking up. You've got, you got to be bold about it. You can't just play games with this thing. So boldness is essential if you want to minister in the supernatural. Listen, you know how much boldness it takes to tell someone to get out of their wheelchair when they've been in there for 15 years? Most of you, it's going to take courage to do something like that. Isn't that right? Do you remember when Joshua was about to go and invade and take the promised land? Do you remember that? And God told him, Joshua, be, I will be with you even as I was with Moses. Only be strong and be very courageous. And when God tells you to be very courageous, you've got to ask him, hey, what's waiting for me? What do you know that I don't? Because he told him twice. Only be strong and be very courageous. As I promise you, what I'm giving you, I've used this stuff. Okay? This is experience. Now the thing is, you can have all the boldness and all the availability in the world, but if you don't have genuine compassion for people, you're wasting your time. Because you will get angry at people, you will get frustrated with people, and you will forget why you're there. You understand? And I want you to realize what compassion is, because many people think that compassion is a form of empathy or a form of sympathy, and it's neither of these two things. Empathy is where you are um, kind of empathetic towards the person's situation. You, you associate with it, you understand where they're at, and you try and, you know, just make them feel like you're, you understand. Sympathy is where you're, where you're kind of looking down on the situation going, oh, it's horrible that you're there, but that's kind of your lot in life, right? You're sympathetic. But 
Compassion is when you look at a situation and something rises up on the inside of you and it demands that that situation must change because it is fundamentally wrong and it should not continue anymore. It is a drive on the inside of you. And you felt it. You felt it when you've seen someone bully a kid. You see it when someone has said something to someone that they shouldn't have said because it was wrong. That drive on the inside of you is compassion. And that compassion, if you deny it and you suppress it, then you do not operate in it. But compassion is the driver that helps the supernatural flow. The whole reason Jesus appointed his apostles wasn't because they were ready. Because they'd gone through the 17-year program and they were finally ready. It was because the need was so great that Jesus had compassion on the people. In Matthew 9.35, in verse 10, it says, And he called to him his twelve disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And then it lists the names. But right before that, uh, Matthew 9 35, let's read from there. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every infliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Can you see what Jesus is witnessing? He's seeing that the people don't have the help they need. He's there, but he's not enough. Do you see that? Okay. And then in chapter 10, okay, verse 1, he says, And he called to him his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority. What did he do? He appointed them because of the need. He didn't appoint them because they were good enough. He didn't appoint them because they got a 100% score on every biblical test they ever took. He pointed them because there was a need and he needed them to get the job done. And that's why the disciples were appointed by Jesus. And you'll see the 12 and the 72 minister in the same capacity that Jesus ministered in. His disciples did the things he did. In fact, it was so common that they did the things he did that when they finally arrested him, they needed someone like Judas to show them who was the one called Jesus. Because there were another 72 people who could do exactly the same thing he was doing. That Jesus was so good at reproduction. Do you understand this? That they didn't even know who Jesus was. They needed someone to out him. And so Judas was paid to make sure that they didn't arrest the wrong person. Does that make sense to you? And so you've got to understand that Jesus did this out of compassion. In fact, in Matthew 14, 14, Jesus healed the sick because of compassion. In Matthew 20, 29, to 34, Jesus healed the blind man because of compassion. In Mark 1.40, Jesus healed the leper because of compassion. In Matthew 15.32, Jesus fed the multitudes because of compassion. And in Luke 7.11 to 16, Jesus raised the dead because of compassion. Without compassion... 
which I call love in action, you will struggle to be in ministry. Okay? You will struggle to be in ministry. And so you need compassion. And that means you need to have a heart for people. I've heard some people say, ministry would be great if it wasn't for the people. They're joking, obviously. But it's still wrong. (laughs) There wouldn't be any ministry if there weren't any people. The point of ministry is to help people. And that's what we've committed our lives to and dedicated our lives to, is to help people receive the same kind of revelation and change that we received, that they can taste and see that God is good because we have. And if you've tasted and seen that God is good, and you meet people that don't know how good He is, you want to help them taste and see that He is good because He is awesome. Isn't that right? And so it's when you see the injustices in this world happening, you want to take action against them, okay? And I advise you that you don't take action against them in the flesh, but you take action against them in the spirit. That you deal with the cause behind the action that is happening, rather than trying to just eliminate the fruit. It's like going to a peach tree and chucking down all the peaches and expecting that there won't be any peaches next year. Did you hear me? What do you do when you want to get rid of the peach tree? You chop the thing down. You find the roots and you pull it out. And this is what we need to do when it comes to these injustices that are happening in our world. We need to hit the core of these things instead of constantly trying to fend off the fruit of these things. Does it make sense? Okay, so compassion, very important. So you can be available, you can be bold, you can be compassionate. But I'm telling you now, number, number D, <laughs> oh Lord Jesus, there is more said about this thing in Scripture than you can ever imagine. Determination is the quality of being determined or firm or of purpose. Those who succeed because of sheer grit and determination. How many of you have heard this statement that... Often the difference between failure and success is your willingness to persevere. I've lived by that almost all my life. Since I came back from living in Istanbul. My friend's mother gave me a a pen with a stone in it. And on there it said, often the difference between failure and success is your willingness to persevere. And it stuck with me from that time. It stuck with me. But it's so true because one thing that we've lost in our super quick, instant, popcorn, drive-through generation is the fact that you need to be patient, that you need to persevere, that you need to be determined. These days, if people try a sport and they don't succeed, immediately they quit. And then they watch the movies of the little guy who wants to play football and is so determined that he actually succeeds. And they go, good for you. But they don't learn the lesson that determination can do a lot more for you than just help you make a movie. Amen? So this is what James has to say about determination. 
She says, count it all joy, my brothers. James 1 verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now these trials, by the way, um, are not things God is sending to you. These trials are things that come to you because the devil is trying to challenge the word that you've received. So when you receive the word, the first thing that happens is the devil wants to steal it from you. Okay? And after you've got it and you understand it, he tries to put pressure on you to let go of it. And some people, they persevere for a little bit, but they eventually they quit. And then they get offended at the word, and they reject the word, and the word can then no longer benefit them. And then they do exactly what the devil wants them to do. But those who are faithful with the word, who persevere with it, who stay determined with the word, they produce fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. That's good soil. Are you with me so far? You can decide. You want to be good soil purely by deciding to be determined. Determination is so powerful that it, listen, I have spoken to people who have raised over almost, almost 400 people from the dead. And I've asked them, what's the difference between you and everyone else? And they have told me the only difference is that I wasn't willing to give up. They were available. They were bold. They had compassion. But the difference between him and everyone else who had ABC was D. Your unwavering commitment to never quit no matter what. Determination. Count it all joy when you face trials. Why? For you know this fact that when the devil's trying to test your faith, all he is doing is producing steadfastness in you. So because you are standing your ground while the enemy is trying to push you off of the word, he, you are building strength on the inside called steadfastness. And when steadfastness has its full effect, it will leave you perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Do you understand this? So determination is key. Determination is where most people I started with quit because they get available. Then they get bold then they get compassionate and then they never persevere. And if you don't persevere, you will become a burnt out Christian and an easy target for the devil. And you don't want that. Are you listening to me? Oh, please hear me. It's so important. I am doing my best to give you every tool you need to be successful at what I'm talking about. And I'm telling you, determination, it is the only thing that will carry you through. When everyone keeps telling you, oh, they're going to die, or they're not going to make it, or they're not coming back. Determination is the only thing that's going to keep you. Do you understand? In Luke 8.15 it says, as for that, in the good soil. They are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Galatians 6, 9, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. 2 Thessalonians 3, 13, As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. So clearly, 
we can see that we shouldn't grow weary in doing good. How do we overcome evil? We overcome evil with good. Isn't that right? So I want you to realize this. Your determination will determine the outcome in many situations. That's why we don't teach people to just pray once or just pray twice. We teach them to pray until they settle it. And if you feel you need to go back and lay hands again, then go lay hands. Are you with me? All right? Because you need to do it until you settle it. Okay. All right. Thank you very much for your time, brothers and sisters. I hope you've learned something. And I hope you put this into practice in your life. Amen? Amen.